Well, I tell you, when we, when we talk about movement, I know that, that all of us are in that season. Kids are going back to school. I was just high-fiving some of our new sixth graders in the house on the front row. What's up, sixth graders? Glad you're here out of KidWorks. And, and, and they're on a move, and my, my kids are on a move. I mean, my son had to get his new kicks, you know, and, and, and make sure. And, and when, we, when we saw the bill for his new whatever they were, LeBrons, because he had to have his LeBrons, you know. He's like two foot four, but he's got, you know, he'll jump and slam dunk it if he got his LeBrons on. Uh, but he's on a move. He is always on the move. And, and God has created us to be in movement. In fact, God is a God of movement. Uh, you know, the Bible says that uh, before the foundations of the earth were formed, the Lamb of God was slain. Before uh, you ever uh, were uh, conceived and being knit in your mother's womb, although he knew you in that moment, although he has plans for you, even before really the earth was formed, he knew that there was going to be deep relationship and opportunity for us to choose to walk away from that. And yet he wanted to pay and pave the pathway back to him through his son, Jesus. God has always been on the move. And because God is on the move and because we're created in his image, he desires for us to be on the move too. Christianity is not a static thing. It's not where you just kind of start showing up and just you're there. There is a process. And so for some, it was the first time today where they said, you know what, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Others, they said, you know what, it's time to make a, a, a rebirth, kind of recharge that relationship with Jesus. But wherever you are on the movement, seniors, saint or I mean a milk drinking baby Christian baby Christ follower God is desiring to give you what it takes to move forward but it all starts with that moment of salvation as he woos us towards him he's drawing near to us we're drawing near to him and then we bow a knee and we begin to believe that starts a process that's not the end of the game that's not the finish line that's the starting block and so let's take a look at some scripture today and let, let, let's unpack this together in Ephesians chapter 2 the apostle Paul incredible leader uh, in the New Testament, more books written by Paul than any other author in the New Testament. And Paul says, God saved you by his grace when you what? Believed. That was pathetic response. God saved you by his grace when you what? Oh man. Oh, okay. Easy, easy. Not too hard. No, okay. Not, not when you got your spiritual ducks in a row, not when you started to go to church, not when you finally wrote a check to all in. It has nothing to do with it. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this because it's a gift from God. Do you know we just love taking credit for stuff? That's just our humanity. We just love taking credit for stuff. And he says, it's not about you. It's about simply believing and it's all about what he has done, not about what we could ever do. Paul goes on to say, salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. If it was all about you doing good works, it would be hard and it would be your job for salvation. But Jesus says, no, 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 it's about believing. If that's it, it's easy. So, so really take your worship guide and on the back of there, there's no fill in the blanks today, but I would, I would, I would encourage you, I wanna challenge you, be a note taker. When you come to church, you say, man, I've been taking notes all, all week at school. Trust me, these notes are gonna be a lot better uh, for you in the long run of your spiritual life. And when we begin to write stuff down, it, it helps us kind of bring it back into our recall throughout the week. Salvation is intentionally easy and happens in a moment. If it were hard, it'd be all about what you could do. So Jesus has made salvation easy. It's about believing he is who he says he is. But he doesn't stop there with just salvation. Is that the way to heaven? Yes. Do you have to add anything to it to be saved? No. But is that your stopping point? No, that's your starting point. Because then it goes on, Paul says in Philippians, saved, it's not about you, it's about believing. But then he says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. See, many of us have the desire to do what's right, but we don't have the power because we haven't bowed that knee to Jesus. We haven't truly engaged what he can do through our life. And so we've been trying to do it with, with, with fortitude and moral restraint. I've used this all summer. The idea that 
The idea that, that if I squeeze this Nerf ball down, I, I, can, I can hold on to it. But when I get tired, when I stop restraining it, this sucker goes right back to its normal shape. And some have been living a life for Christ. You've just been trying to do it in your own strength. And I want to tell you, that's not the power God intended for you to live in. He, he, doesn't help, he doesn't make you become a stronger Christian by morally good heart. It starts with a supernaturally changed heart. And that's what only God can do. And as he changes your heart and you surrender to him more and more, he gives you the strength to stand and do what he's called you to do. He'll give you the desire and the power. How many of you had the desire, but he felt like he didn't have the power to get past that one thing or that, that hiccup or that habit or that emotion or that situation? They still drive you nuts. You still get, it, you still get tempted. You, anybody ever been there? Don't raise a hand because if you, you know, I, I just know it's all of you, okay? And it's all of me. It's all of me too. We have the desire to do what's right and then we don't do what's right. And I do what I don't wanna do and I don't do what I wanna do. That's just like the issue. But yet the power of Jesus is available through his Holy Spirit given that we can then do what pleases him. So salvation is intentionally easy, happens in a moment, but spiritual growth is a process. The seed of salvation is complete when it is deposited in your heart. But then that seed is not designed to be a seed. The seed is designed to become a tree full of fruit. The seed is designed to become a full blown, growing, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. Spiritual growth is a process. And oh, that all of us would be on a process to become more and more. And that's what move is all about, how to move. Because all of us, I'm gonna tell you, we know we need to move. It's just how do we move? Especially if you feel like you've been stuck. And maybe you've been, feel like you've been swimming through peanut butter. What a beautiful, I mean, if it was peanut butter and Nutella, I would, I would volunteer to, to swim through it. Our kids go through Nutella like it's air. <laughs> But like swimming through peanut butter, it's like, oh, you're just stuck. And you know what? When you fight that, that push, you give up because you just run out of strength. But it's not the desire and your strength. It's he gives the desire and the power. Spiritual growth is a process. You were made for more. And you know, I was thinking about this last night because, you know, uh, usually, usually, uh, I'm gonna be full disclosure here. Usually, uh, by Wednesday afternoon, I've got the fill in the blanks done and there to our team because it takes time and we don't want them having to work on a day off to get the worship guide done and I'm ready to preach and I'm just kind of brushing up on, on Saturday night and Sunday morning. But this week has been so crazy. That, that, that it's so crazy with extra things and un, uh, unexpected stuff and then expected stuff through the weekend that, that I really didn't know exactly what God wanted me to say until later last night. That's not a habit, boy, that will stress you out. Because I was stressed out, I went to McDonald's at midnight to get some fries, you know, some like college food, you know, to, to, get, to get, I needed the spirit and some French fries. And when I, when I went to McDonald's, I thought, I, I thought of something about made for more. When I, when, I, when I was getting the ketchup, the ketchup cup, right? Don't give me none of those stupid little, you know, things. I want the, I want the pump, you know? I'll just pump it right onto the tray, you know what I mean? But if I'm civil, don't clap at that. Don't clap at that. But if I'm civil, if I'm civil, I will use a ketchup cup, right? But do you know that those ketchup cups were made for more? Some of you know that, but some of you, I'm about ready to blow your mind. Because the truth is this, these little ketchup cups are designed that if you just apply a little pressure. They are creased in several different places. And if you simply pull on them a little bit, what? Man, I got saved today and I found more ketchup. It's the blood of Jesus, okay? It's not ketchup, it's the blood of Jesus. This little ketchup cup becomes three times. You can't dip your cheeseburger in a little cup. But this baby, you can like head first, right into it, bless God. And so what you have when you understand something's made for more, you get more, you get more. (laughs) 
Revelation at McDonald's at midnight. Yes, Lord. (laughs) You can be in church for years and years and look like that. And yet you were intended. God designed you. And as much as you're like, what? Learn something new with a life hack today. Some of you are living and you've got so much more on this side of eternity. Yes, heaven is your home. You are a spiritual being on a physical journey more than you are a physical being on a spiritual spiritual journey. You were made for more, and it's not just on the other side of heaven. God has plans for you right here to expand and germinate that seed of salvation into a vibrant life. But you've gotta let him expand you, and you've gotta work hard to show the results of that salvation. If you wanna go to heaven, you don't have to get more than that, okay? Don't, don't think I'm adding to the, to the gospel message. But if you wanna become all God's created you to be, you were made for more. And so the question I wanna ask you today is the question that, that Peter asks in one of his books. The apostle Peter, who wrote one of the books towards the end of the New Testament, he says, do you want more and more of God's kindness and peace? I don't know, that's a pretty rhetorical question, isn't it? How many of you like more and more of God's kindness and peace? No, I'd really prefer his wrath and judgment if you don't mind, and I'm just kind of good with what I've got. No, of course you want more kindness and peace of God. He says, do you want it? Well, here's what you gotta do. Learn to know him better and better. He goes on to say, for as you know him better, we start seeing some steps of movement here, okay? So watch. He'll give you through his great power, not your power, not what you could do, but what he's already done and provided for you, Everything you need for living a truly good life. It's the good life. But to obtain these gifts, you need more than faith. You must also work hard to be good. And even that, though, is not enough. For then you must learn to know God better and discover what he wants you to do. Next, because it's not done, learn to put aside your own desires so that you will become patient and godly. Oh, who has time for that? Yeah, exactly. You need patience. And he goes on to say, gladly letting God have his way with you. Some of you, you want God to have your way with you, but it's kind of, you know, it's like my son being willing to give me one of his Oreos. He'll do it, but he really doesn't want to give it up. But surrender to God is this glad surrender where he says, oh yeah, what I could even do, you can do so much more, and I gladly I gladly let God have his way with me. Do you know some of the best things some of you could do right now? You're not gladly surrendering. You're fighting with God. You're arguing with God over something. You're arguing. One of the best things you could do, lose an argument with God. Like you will not, okay, all right. I'm not even telling you lose an argument with your husband. Fine, you win. (laughs) I know how that is. but maybe some of you just need to lose an argument with God. He's challenging you to go to a next place and you're arguing with him. He's, 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 he's stirring you to say no to that, but yet you're still saying yes. He's, he's showing you the, the edge that you need to carve off through his power and you're just, you're fighting over it. Don't fight over it. Gladly let him have his way with you. This will make possible the next step. He's not even done, Peter isn't which is for you to enjoy other people and to like them. I mean, you can enjoy people, but like them, boy, that's a hard, you know, that's a hard thing. But look what he else, I think it's hilarious. And finally, you will grow to love them deeply, you know. Some of you, that's like Thanksgiving. You kind of enjoy them. You're learning to like them. Love them is hard, you know. That's like the Thanksgiving dinner table for some of you. But that's a next step in growing and how to move. The more you go on in this way, look, the more you will grow strong spiritually and become fruitful and useful to our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about just being faithful. It's about being fruitful too. And you can be faithful with the little ketchup cup, but God's calling you to more for faithfulness into fruitfulness and usefulness. So to break it down, basically what Peter just said, learn to know him better, work hard to be good, discover what he wants, put aside your own desires, enjoy and love other people. Let's pray. I'm kidding, okay, so that's hard. Like you hear all those steps and you're like, yeah, okay. That's like spiritual calculus because these things are tough. 
It's tough to get to this place. So really the question we ask is this, how? Those are all the movements, but how do we move? And that's what these next two weeks are all about. It's not just about knowing the right thing. It's not just about hearing the right thing. It's about doing the next thing. Jesus says in his inaugural address on the Sermon of the Mount, he says, those that hear the word and don't do anything with it are like somebody who contracts a house and they don't do any dirt work underneath the house. And they just leave a sandy foundation and they start framing that house and putting rough openings for the windows. I'm there right now. We're framing up a house. And if we didn't take care of the foundation, that's what we would be like if we're just hearing the word and not doing anything. But Jesus goes on to say, if you hear and do, you got a solid foundation. That's how we move. And so that's what we want to talk about for the rest of the time we have together. How do we interact with these, with these issues? How? Where do we start? How do we start? And I want to give you just the next few moments elementary equation. This is like two plus two equals four. Jesus is calling on the main line. <laughs> two plus two is, is four, okay? It's simple, but if it were truly simple, everybody would be doing it. And the truth is, as simple as it is, it's really, really hard. In fact, usually it's the simple things that are hardest things to do. It's the simple things that are some of the hardest things to do. So let me give you an equation. Write this down on your study guide. Let's start, kind of make some space here and we're gonna put, we're gonna put four things, including this first one, and it's gonna sum total to where we're headed on moving with God, moving with the desire and the power for him to do what only he can do through our lives and in our lives. It starts with daily connection. It starts with a daily connection. The equation does not work without a consistent daily Connection to Jesus. The disciples are following him for three years and they slept under an open sky. They shared fish over a campfire. They ran when he was arrested. They saw him laugh. They saw him weep at the death of his, one of his best friends, Lazarus. They saw him live life. And in Luke chapter two, the disciples are with him and, and the Bible says that Jesus went away and prayed and that was his custom. Jesus took time for daily connection with the Father. How arrogant, <laughs> how arrogant of us to think that Jesus needs daily connection but I'm good in the hood for just Sundays. How arrogant. If it was necessary for Jesus how many of you think it's necessary for us, right? And as they watched him, as they watched him live, one of the questions the disciples asked him was this question, Lord, teach us to pray. It wasn't the question, Lord, teach us to grow our church. Lord, teach us how to speak in tongues. Lord, uh, show us how to walk through a wall. Lord, can we walk on water too? Teach us how to do that. That's pretty cool. I wanna do that at the next you know, bar mitzvah for my son. Crowd's gonna go crazy. I'm walking on the pool. No, he says, he says, Lord, teach us to pray. And so Jesus goes on to say, hey, here's a formula. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in. Give us this day our, not our weekly bread, not our monthly bread, not our Sunday bread, not our bread when we get around to it. Give us today our daily bread. Jesus knows it is our inclination to survive on leftovers. It's why in the desert, when the Israelites were exodus out of Egypt, he gave them the blessing of manna, manna on the ground. The word manna literally means in that native language, what is it? So some of you, you know, hey, what's your wife cooking today? It's manna. I don't know. I don't know what it is, you know. What is it? Manna, and he said, don't waste it, and don't bury it, and don't you dare try and hide it under the rug in the tent. They had no refrigeration. That stuff gonna get stale. It's not gonna be any good. You're gonna get sick over it. You've got to learn to reply, rely on me daily. And some of you, you wouldn't dare let your kids go without a, with, with being satisfied from a meal last Thursday. And yet that's how long you're going from 
receiving the daily connection with Jesus. It's a daily thing. Give us this day our daily bread. And isn't it any wonder that Jesus comes from Bethlehem, which means the house of bread? Isn't it any wonder that he says when he breaks the communion apart, he breaks it at the Passover, the bread, he says, this is my body, daily bread, daily connection with Jesus. Lord, teach us to pray. So daily connection, add to that then daily calibration. Because he goes on to say, forgive us our debts as we forgive those that, have, uh, that are indebted to us. Or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. It's a daily calibration. Basically, it's this way. In 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins to God, which is a calibration of our heart, he will keep his promise and do what is right. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all our wrongdoings. And listen, you don't need to be scared that you're gonna lose your salvation. You can choose on your own to walk away from underneath the umbrella of God's divine grace. He's not gonna force you into any kind of heaven. But you also don't need to be shaking in your boots, biting your bottom lip, twiddling your thumbs, thinking that the grace of God isn't like huge in your life. And you need to know that the grace covers a multitude of junk, but a great habit to develop if you're gonna move to the next place because you're made for more is to daily confess, God, I just, I'm waking up today and I confess any, that attitude, that response. I, I, have to, I have to confess my sins and the Bible says he is faithful and just and he forgives us and purifies us. When's the last time you calibrated Instead of just asking God, oh God, help me on that test. Oh God, help me figure it out. Oh God, where's my money gonna come? Where, what's gonna happen? I gotta make it to payday. Have you taken time to connect and calibrate? Daily, daily connection and calibration. Now we add some other elements to this equation. Super simple, but if it were so easy, everybody'd be doing it and we're not all doing it. It's the right crowd. It's the right crowd. It's being around the right people. In Psalm 1, the psalmist says it like this, blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Now watch this. Do you see the progression that that sinner, that that person who's, who's uh, the blessed man that they don't do, do you see the progression here? Look at this. They don't walk, stand, and sit. When I'm on the move, when I'm moving, I'm less likely to get tackled into, into stuff. But then when I get distracted from temptation to sin or attitudes or emotions, I can stop and stand. And then if I allow it to get more of me, I can sit down and all of a sudden, I've gone from movement to stagnancy really fast. Ladies, ever been like in the Galleria? I don't even know if they do this at the Lufkin Mall, but you're walking down the mall hall and there's some dude with a cool accent in like the tightest skinny jeans you've ever seen in your life. And he's at a middle little place and they're selling like soaps from Israel or something. And you're walking, minding your own business. And they say, may I ask you a question? Anybody ever had that happen? Just me? I am feeling really weird now. No, 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 no. They'll say, can I ask you a question? And if you don't keep walking, you lost. You lost, you don't even realize you just gave up the next 45 minutes of your life. Because if you stop for a second, they've got a sample to put in your hand. They're gonna grab you by the nap of the neck. And by the time I come back around, Janet is gonna be getting a massage with a face mask on and cucumbers on her face and her hair's gonna be getting all straightened out and whatnot because she stopped and stood and then she sat and she got sucked in by the sales tactics. We were just at Disney last week. We were in California for business with the Assemblies of God, electing a new general superintendent for our fellowship. And, and, and we went to Disney and there's like these vacation packs. Don't get sucked in. Careful, run. 90 minutes of your time, we'll give you this free ticket. Oh, watch it. You'll be walking away with vacation and payments for the next 47 years of your life. If you've done that, that's okay. It's okay, you're, you're not alone. Walk, stand, and sit. That's the wrong crowd. 
Associate with everyone, but hang out with those who make you better. Look, look, God is not calling you to be salt and light to more salt and light. I think a lot of churches are being really salty to other salt. Salt being salt to salt isn't really doing anything. Salt is meant to be a preservative beyond itself. Light is supposed to not be light in more light. It's supposed to be light in the darkness. And so we associate with everybody, but you gotta choose who you're really gonna hang out with. Look what Paul says later in 1 Corinthians. When I wrote to you before, Church of Corinth, he's talking to the church people, I said, hey, don't mix with evil people. Don't mix with evil people. But when I said that, I wasn't talking about unbelievers who live in sexual sin or are greedy cheats and thieves and idol worshipers. But that just described part of my home group. You know? <laughs> the next verse is hilarious. This is, the next verse, I think Paul has a kind of a, a humor on this. You ready? He, he says this, you can't live in this world without being with people like that. <laughs> you just can't live in the world without being with people that are messed up. But the key word is unbelievers. When he said don't associate with evil people, he wasn't talking about stay away from unbelievers. How are they gonna have the salt and light if the salt and light stays home? If the salt and light just stays in the four walls of the church? Hello, everybody. So we're called to be beyond ourselves. Here's what he goes on to say. What I meant was that you're to not keep company with anyone who claims to be a brother Christian but indulges in sexual sins or is greedy or is a swindler or worship idols or is a drunkard or abusive. He's talking about Christians who say one thing and do a complete different thing. That's who you ought to avoid. And we all gotta be on a movement together because on your best day, you could still fall into that same junk. You, you and I could become that person if we're not on a daily connection, daily calibration, having the right crowd. You, you, do we do groups because we're just not busy we just do groups because you, we wanna give you something else to do with your life? No. And you know what? We just created these brochures. We've got uh, just under 60 groups for this next fall semester going on. And you know what? Even if you don't wanna find a group, you can use this sucker and you can block, you can put it in your windshield and block out the sun, you know? <laughs> thing that you, you, you can have, if you need a towel at the pool, if you need to cover your car, whatever, this sucker is huge. But here's the deal, the reason we do groups is because we wanna connect you with the right crowd. You gotta have people around you, the right crowd. From social events to study groups to support groups, you ought not do life alone, even God is created in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're designed for community. Here's what you need to do, identify your crowd. And you really identify your crowd by answering those two questions. Where do I turn for advice? Where do I turn for approval? You need to recalibrate your crowd if you are going to Facebook for advice and approval. Lord have mercy, child of mine. Identify the crowd. If you're looking for advice, stay away from Facebook. No, no, stay away from fools. Now here's what else James says in chapter five. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Doesn't that sound familiar? We read a scripture just a few moments ago and it says, if we confess our sins to God, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from wrongdoing and unrighteousness and purify us, right? But now he's saying, confess your sins to each other. So here's, here's the truth. We confess our sins to God to get forgiveness, but we confess our sins to one another and it heals. There's power in accountability and healing and not letting that issue fester in the dark. And when you, when you pull that issue out by the nap of its neck into the light, it can't live in the light. It dies in the light. And you may be healed because you're confessing to one another. It's not because I have the power to heal you and absolve you, as some religion would say. It's that there's just power in community, in the right crowd as we confess our sins to one another and we encourage one another, we spur each other onto good works. You can't do the Bible if you're not doing the one another's, everybody. There are hundreds of one another's in the Bible. Carry one another's burdens, love one another, forgive one another, bring peace to each other. Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. That's the right crowd and we need it. So daily connection and calibration, the right crowd, the right compass. You may wanna write this one down. 
a good heart, but a bad compass will take you to the wrong place every single time. Some of you know that girl. You know that girl. She got a good heart, but she is attracted to idiots. You, you know who I'm talking about. It's like you're sitting next to an idiot right now, girl. You know? I'm kidding, I'm kidding, you're not. Like a good heart. You can love Jesus and your compass can be off. Your compass can be off. And you're trying to fulfill some kind of need that maybe dad didn't or you got this issue of significance or there's this shame or there's this guilt or this, there, there's this, this lack of identity and it, it, can, it can mess up your compass like putting a big old magnet on that compass. And a good heart and the wrong compass is gonna take you to the wrong place every single time. So what's the compass? What's the compass? Well, let's go back to that Psalms chapter one. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk or stand or sit in the company of sinners and mockers. But it goes on to say in the next scripture, but their delight, a blessed man's delight, is in the word of the Lord, the law of the Lord. And they meditate on that law. They meditate on the word day and night. Oh, the Bible is precious. The Bible is under attack. It has always been under attack. The very first uh, uh, question, the enemy as form of a serpent in the Garden of Eden, he's attacking the word of God. Did God really say? And that same attack the enemy is using to try and get you to think that the word of God isn't precious, isn't solid, isn't fundamental for your everyday life. It is the moral compass for every decision you could ever make. It is the breath of God through authors given to us. It has survived all kinds of attacks, all kinds of burn parties, all kinds of, of cultures that tried to get rid of it. And you know why the Bible's still around? Because Jesus himself says, my word will never pass away. 40 authors... Over 1,500 years, three different languages on three different continents, writing the word of God, and it comes together as a beautiful message, not talking about like, you know, Pinterest stuff. It's talking about marriage and sexuality and decisions and life and raising children and parenting and you name it. The word of God is, oh, precious. I heard the story of Willie George, a pastor in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He was, he was sitting, he's a mega church over there in Tulsa, and he's in his recliner, and he's, he's watching Sports Center. His little granddaughter came up to the side where the lamp is and his Bible is, and, and, and his little three-year-old daughter grabbed, grabbed the Bible ju just, just like this, and, and she, she grabs the Bible, and she says, Oh, Papa, the Bible, I love the Bible. And he said it brought tears to his eyes. And he said, he said, where'd you learn that? He goes, at your church, Papa. <laughs> and he went to investigate it. And there was a, an old woman who was teaching three-year-olds for years and years. And every Sunday, she'd pull out a bunch of Gideon white New Testament Bibles. And she'd pass them around to those little kids after they ate their goldfish and their Cheez-Its and their jelly beans. She say, oh, the Bible is precious. The Bible is precious. Don't you love the word of God? Those little babies, you know, just slobbering, you know, just not. Now, is the Bible salvation? No. The Bible is the word of the Lord. It's not salvation, but we can find it. And we read it, we find Jesus who is salvation. But you gotta know the Bible is precious. I'm running out of time, but you gotta know if you're gonna move, it's not gonna be in your own strength. It's not gonna be in your own compass. It's not gonna be going it solo. It's not gonna be with just kind of dealing with the crowd you're in. You've got to calibrate and connect and get the right crowd and have the right compass. The Bible says in Proverbs 2, every young man who listens to me and obeys my instructions, my word, my Bible, will be given wisdom and good sense. Yes, if you want better insight and discernment and are searching for them as you would lost money or hidden treasure, then wisdom will be given you and knowledge of God himself. Gone are the days, Christian, if you're still opening up your Bible and just going, and you're putting a finger on a verse and, oh, give me this day my daily bread. You gotta search the word like it's hidden treasure. We were late to the airport after having spent several days on family vacation and church business in California. And my wife and I and our two little kids, we, we were on the way to the airport in the little uh, tiny SUV and, and uh, we we're in the parking lot and Janet pipes up and says, oh, I don't have my, I don't have my uh, uh, driver's license in my purse. They're not gonna let me on the plane. I don't have any ID at all. 
I think I think I packed it somehow. So in the in the you know the the parking lot of the courtyard Marriott, we parked to the side, and like two minutes later, if you were to walk out of the hotel, there are five bags strewn everywhere. It looked like a tornado hit the car. There, there are bad, we are in the parking lot digging, and I've just got the fruit of the spirit all over me. Hey, you know, it's all good. We missed the flight. Jesus loves us. It's, hey, let's just pray right now. Thank you for slowing us down. No! No, I did not have a supernaturally changed heart at that moment. All right? I was trying to restrain this sucker. And we're digging all through, and finally, I found it. Oh, I found it. It was in my other purse. It was in my other purse. That purse didn't look good with what I was wearing to the airport, so I didn't want to pack it. Huh? Get in the car. Get in the car. But we were diligent to seek after that lost thing. When I was a kid and I got lost at the equivalent of a Six Flags, it's called Worlds of Fun in Kansas City. I got lost as a little eight-year-old kid. I didn't know what to do, scared to death, went up to some, some you know, teenager kid. I don't know where my parents are. <laughs> okay, come here. I waited, got a manager, said, what do your parents look like, you know, and what are their names, and, and well, let's go over here, and maybe you can see them, and the park was closing, people were leaving, and to be honest with you, I thought that maybe the rapture had happened. I thought maybe, you know, because like weeks before, we were watching these movies called Thief in the Night, it's all about the rapture of the church, and, and, I, and they have this song, I wish we'd all been ready, and I'm thinking as an eight-year-old kid, oh, I think we'd up to heaven. I'm all by myself, God, I'm sorry I stole the cookies. I swear, I'm sorry. And I'll ne I'm telling you, I remember it right in this moment, what it felt like when on the other side of the bridge that goes out to the park, I begin to see my mom and my dad walk up the bridge. It was like Julie Andrews slow motion through a daisy field, you know, in Switzerland. I'm running, mom and dad, I love you. Music was playing in the background in my head. There was just, I, I had found, I was found and I felt so lost. And I just want to say to you, the word of God, it is treasure. And it's, it can be on your phone and it's treasure. And it's right there in that book and it's treasure. Don't walk by the treasure. Let the treasure become valuable in your life. You'll soon learn the importance of reverence for the Lord and of trusting him. For the Lord grants wisdom. His every word is a treasure. You know that person who does that lost treasure hunting of the Bible, that person, Psalm says in then chapter, verse three and four, that person's like a tree planted by streams of water. And that tree yields fruit in season and whose leaf doesn't wither and whatever they do prosper. And this is really the scripture that I memorized, Psalm chapter one, when I was in sixth grade. And when God began to stir my heart that he wanted us to be a church with multiple locations, community destinations, he brought me back to a scripture, a hidden treasure in my heart in sixth grade that I memorized way back then that I had no clue I'd be standing as the pastor of a church that turned 90 that was moving towards 100th birthday. And when I began to read this scripture, I believe God gave me, and it was, it was affirmed and confirmed by the rest of the body that we were to change our name to Timber Creek Church. And the image that God gave me was this scripture, a tree planted by streams of water, that Timber Creek Church would be a strong charter oak tree close to the water that anybody could come and find nourishment and that those streams wouldn't just intersect at 2021 South John Reddit, but you know there are over 4,000 streams across the state of Texas and the same way there are streams in just about every part of Texas, God is calling us to the East Texas timber country that we would provide living water, trees planted by streams of water, community destinations where anyone can find and follow Jesus. And that hidden treasure in my heart as a little sixth grader grew and germinated and it was even part of the process of a major shift in our, in, in our methodology here at the church. Man, I don't know how that gets you excited, but that gets me excited, Pastor. That's pretty cool, Pastor. All right, I'm wrapping up. Daily connection and calibration, the right crowd, plus the right compass. You know what, you can't help, you can't help but 
the result, the sum total to be Christ-like convictions, character, and conduct. When we say your God-given potential is our mission, it means that you are created to live daily in Christ-like conviction, Christ-like character, and Christ-like conduct. You were made for more. You were made for more than to just move and shake at, at, at the winds of culture. You were made to journey and become who God has called you to be. Your God-given potential is that Christ-like character, conviction, and conduct. It's the way I think, it's the way I feel, it's the way I act, and it's submitted to God. You know, we, we two months ago, we did a reveal survey Hundreds of you took 20 minutes out of your day and, you, and we surveyed the spiritual pulse of Timber Creek Church. And Timber Creek Church, we talk about in this reveal survey, it really begins to define your church in four categories or four movements of people in their spiritual walk. You measure it. You know, you, how do you measure a heart? That's hard to do. When you watch The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, they pull a little x-ray and you see that the Grinch's heart was three times too small. And then he goes through all the stuff at Whoville and they put the x-ray back on and his heart grew dramatically. Well, we don't have that x-ray machine to see our heart. And so what we do is we use the tools and the spirit of God to begin to define or, or get the hand on the pulse of the church and define the movement in our church. And in the movement, we see that there are four main categories of people and where they are in Christ right now. This is a up-to-date snapshot of Timber Creek Church. The first category is exploring Christ. There are those in our church that this, is, this would define you. You're trying to check it out. You're, you're, you're investigating the claims of Christ. Your statement would basically be like this, and I'm so glad you're here, by the way. I believe in God, but faith in Christ is not really a significant part of my life. I would love to put dot, 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 yet, because that's what we're believing for you. But, but maybe God just like, okay, Sunday, but like Monday through Saturday, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out how much I want to rely on God. Is the Bible really true? You're figuring it out and you're exploring. We have a percentage of our church that is in that category. Then the next category is those that are, you moved beyond exploring. You made a decision. You crossed the line of faith. You began to believe and that seed is deposited in your life and you're growing in Christ. And your statement would be, I believe in Jesus and I'm working on what it means to get to know him. You're working on it. You're pursuing it. Just to even have a conversation with a cool couple last night at Splash Kingdom who, who uh, has been a part of our church for several months now and come in full circle and gone through starting point. And they were saying, man, we have learned so many things about our lives and about Jesus and our marriage. We never even knew they're growing in Christ. God's doing some cool stuff. But there's another category and it's moving beyond growing in Christ growing in knowledge, growing in understanding, but then we're getting closer to Christ because God is a personal God. And when we're, per when we're close to Christ, the statement would be, I'm, I, feel I feel really close and I depend on him for guidance. I, I lean on him for guidance. And yet there's another continuum and, it's, and it's, it's the heart of God and it's the heart of your pastor that as many of us would take the journey together over a season, over a lifetime, and we would find ourselves at this place, and that is Christ-centered. That's conduct, character, conviction of Jesus, awake and alive every day. The statement is, my relationship with Jesus is the most important relationship in my life. It guides everything I do. I've had conversations with people I love recently who have chosen temporary relationships over their relationship with Jesus. And it breaks my heart because they're not moving to the direction that God is calling them to move. Maybe that's you too. There's hope. You don't have to stay there. And so you see these continuums. You may start thinking to yourself, where are you in those? Well, as we did the survey, we get a little bit of a footprint of the church, and here's how we set up. Number one, before I even show you these statistics, let me just say it this way. The survey company called us and said, your, your survey is so outstanding. You're one of the top churches we've surveyed. 
and we would like to interview you for other churches because you are a vibrant church. There's something going on in your church. Now that is something you ought to be happy and excited about. This is a good church. It's a good church. Vibrant church. Exciting church. They said it's really because of how handsome your pastor is. That was hard to laugh, man. That was a way hard laugh for that. I'm wrapping up. I've already kept you way late. But here's where we stack up. 11% of our church is exploring Christ. That's awesome. If you want everybody to be Christ-centered, you're not talking about the church. You're talking about a club. The church is out for people who are far from God. And 11%, up three years ago from 7%, up 11% of our church is still trying to figure this out and you are in the right spot. And if that's you, you are in the right place, baby. You keep coming, you keep investigating, you keep asking, you keep going, and God is gonna reveal himself to you. Those of you that are growing in Christ, that's 38%. That's a huge portion, it's the largest portion of our church. You're growing in knowledge, you're young, you're, you're, you're fresh in this, you're figuring it out. But you gotta know that, that not everybody takes the journey. And people over time, they, they, they get stuck or they get stalled. And so the next number gets a little lower. And it's those that are close to Christ, 27% surveyed said, hey, I, I'm close to Christ. And then those that said they are Christ-centered is 24%. Now here's what's beautiful about this, okay? And I'm just gonna call you out. I'm gonna call you out close to Christ. I'm gonna call you out Christ-centered. You have not arrived at a closeness and a centeredness in and of yourself in a vacuum. You are called to live beyond yourself and model for those that are here that they can grow deeper. And if you are sitting the bench, it's time to get active. It's time to get active. I don't have time. You don't not have time. You don't not have time. Make the time. Because that's hearing the word and not doing it. If you feel stuck, if you feel stagnant, if you feel like you're, you're here, but maybe you're not going to the next level, next week, we're unrolling some new initiatives that's gonna get everybody from exploring to Christ-centered moving. From the discipleship seminar that you heard on the video announcement this Wednesday at seven, to a brand new thing we're doing called Grow Track on Wednesday nights that's gonna unstick some people that even are centered in Christ. We wanna get you moving. But the church in itself isn't gonna do it. It's the church plus your work, plus faith and action that's gonna help you move to the next place. So I finish with this, 1 Peter 1. We already read it. The more you go on in this way, the more you will grow strong spiritually and become fruitful and useful to our Lord Jesus Christ. But then Peter gives a warning. But anyone who fails to go after these additions, if they don't go after these additions to faith, they're blind indeed, or at least very short-sighted. Let's move, let's move. Come on, don't stay where you are, let's move. Don't let August of 2018, you look back and say, I am at the exact same ketchup cup. So I started with fast food, I'll end with fast food. One of my favorite places is Taco Casa. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you go to Taco Bell, I, I believe they count how many pieces of cheese they put on their taco. I think it's like five pieces of cheese. You go to Taco Casa, man, you'll be stopped up for a week. <laughs> they, they give you all the cheese you want, baby. It is cheese from heaven. Mm. Here's the thing about Taco Casa though. They got me, they know my number. I'll pull into the drive-thru, they do this trick on me. And I'm gonna tell you, eight, eight out of 10 times, it works, I'm telling it works. I'm ashamed to say it, but it works. Janet knows, I told you it works. I'll say, hey, I want two crunchy tacos and a soft taco. That'll be it. And then they say, what else? <laughs> um, you know what, I'll take a large sweet tea. What else? Mm, that chalada does look good. Chalada, no olives, please. What else? I wonder if the kids are hungry. You know what? Hey, two crunchy tacos with meat and cheese only, please. What else? Uh, I only have $40 in my pocket. That'll be it. Oh, yeah, your total's $39.25. Do you need napkins for your whole family? No, it's just me. Thanks. What else? 
It's a trick. It's a trick. And I'll fall into it. But can I invite you to reverse that? Jesus desires to have daily communion and connection with you. And instead of just telling him all about your trouble, maybe the words you need to ask God next in your movement is, what else, Lord? Here's where I am. What else? Well, I, you know, the way you use your language sometimes, okay. What else, Lord? You know that, that worry? That, that, that's not what I've called you to do. Don't worry about it. Pray about it, okay. What else, Lord? That relationship, you're trying to handle it on your own. Let me be with you on that, okay. What else? If you can live the prayer of what else, Lord, you're gonna move. <laughs> you're gonna move. And your God-given potential is gonna help others reach theirs. Would you pray with me this morning? Very quietly, without moving, just stand up. Don't leave, but just stand up. Everybody stand. Very quietly. If you're here and you're hungry for more, I want to pray a bold prayer over you. If that's you, I want you to put a hand to the ceiling. And Jesus simultaneously is reaching his hand down to you saying, you are not alone on this journey. Let's go. Let's move. And I would ask you, I would invite you to say, what else, Lord? What else, Lord? What else can I offer you? What else can I give? What else can I sacrifice? What else can, 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 can you carve away? Is it, what else, Lord? What am I holding back? Is there an area that I've not been faithful? God, what else? And I wanna move towards you. In him we live and move and have our very being. And in the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that spirit dwells in you and it will quicken your body. It will get you moving and will give you the desire and the power. And so I ask in the mighty name of Jesus that every person in this room would be dissatisfied with where they were yesterday and that they would take steps trusting in the salvation that they received in believing, but working hard to move towards the results of a spirit-filled life. I pray in Jesus' mighty name over every man, woman, young and old, senior citizen, saint, and baby Christian. In the mighty name, we ask it in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. And everybody said, amen.